I'm Kate Daniels. A year ago, as the pandemic was ramping up, we were under so much stress to do what we needed to stay safe and healthy. Here we are, a year later, still some of the same conversation, but with vaccines factored in, and yet there's stress about that very thing. So I am grateful to have Dr. Rushi Sharma, an internal medicine physician with Pacific Medical Centers, with us to provide good insights. Dr. Sharma, good morning, and thank you so greatly for being with us today. Good morning, Kate. Thank you for having me. Well, I am grateful that we have this opportunity. It's so important to have more than enough, in a way, conversations about COVID vaccines because there still seems to be such a a flurry of conversation and questioning about it. Have you encountered that uh, personally and in in your practice? Yes, um, we do experience, you know, um, a gamut of uh, opinions and conversations about the uh, safety and the and the efficacy of the vaccines uh, now that they have been out for almost four months. And, um, you know, I do see people are concerned that the vaccines were developed very quickly and they are concerned about the safety or enough people have not gotten them for them to feel completely reassured that it would be a good thing for them to go ahead and get their vaccines. So right at the outset, I am going to say that I fell somewhere in that category when initially as the vaccines became available, I was thinking, this is too fast. This is really questionable. And uh, I've and I have never had a flu shot. So not that I haven't had other vaccinations, but I've never had a flu shot. So I was thinking, I will probably just wait this out. But I am now fully vaccinated. So I had my second uh, vaccine shot about two weeks ago. And so um, I feel good about that. And I I do feel strongly that it's important to have vaccination. So um, I appreciate your saying that, you know, there's been that gamut of reaction. Yes, definitely. Well, um, I should congratulate you on getting vaccinated and sharing your story. I think uh, this will will, um, make a big impact. And, um, you know, it is, um, it is true that if I take you back to fall of last year, we heard a lot of information how quickly the vaccines were being developed and they were going to be circulated for um, a public mass vaccination. And at that time, there was trepidation about how this was being developed because this is unprecedented. You know, we have to keep in mind that this is a public health emergency of, you know, very unique Kind that we haven't seen in over a century. And so extreme problems ask for extreme measures. What we know now is um, the vaccines, the, the, they follow the protocols. And yes, they were expedited to some extent. However, they, were, they went on to complete phase three trials for all the vaccines that have now been approved, or I should say authorized in the U.S., The vaccine development um, was expedited due to public health emergency, like I said. However, there has been an extensive scientific safety review after they were approved by the uh, FDA, uh, especially in Washington State and California, where they looked at the safety elements before we offered to the public, and they found really no big concerns. 
And four months into public vaccination program, we have seen, you know, very few side effects or very few concerning issues that should deter us from not getting the vaccine. And I would just go on to add the actual technology of this particular vaccination, especially the Pfizer and Moderna, the mRNA vaccines, they've been around for decades. So that was part of why we could quickly develop this in a matter of months, as opposed to taking longer when we, um, we have done, you know, back in the day for some of the vaccines that have been around for a long time. So if we were to look at, say, the polio vaccine back in the mm-hmm. in the 50s, it took years for that to come on board because it was starting from scratch, basically. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so, so there is that foundation. So we don't have to think about it having to take years to develop because that's existed. Uh, but you mentioned the uh, Pfizer and the Moderna. The Johnson & Johnson has not existed for that long. Is that true? Well, the adenovirus vector vaccines have been around for a long time. And those are the vaccines we have had, other vaccines that have uh, been in circulation in, with that technology. So those what are what we call the traditional vaccines. The mRNA vaccines, um, which were Pfizer and Moderna, were sort of the newer technology because we do not have any other mRNA vaccines to date. So with that, these two vaccines, the Pfizer and the Moderna, they're a two-shot process. And what is the the basis for then doing the two? And and if you could also address the, the, the time frame between the two shots and the importance of that. Right. So the way trials were done for Pfizer and Moderna, uh, they studied a two-shot series for Pfizer. The second shot is given 21 days later, and for Moderna, it is 28 days later. And what the studies or the trials found was that when they gave the first dose, they were developing, you know, they developed immunity or immune response. And when the second shot was given, the immune response was higher. So the protection or uh, preventing new infections was greater than 90% in both of those trials. And this is the reason why the recommendations are to get your first shot, wait three weeks for Pfizer and four weeks for Moderna to follow through the second shot because you will get more robust or you will boost your immunity to the new infection. And now we're finding out that it may also prevent spread. And so... Having the second shot, I I have heard people say that they've had a reaction, and and I did um, to a degree. Uh, the day after the vaccine, I was really exhausted. I basically slept most of that day and, and felt really achy. But that was just a day of that, and then by the next day, I was back to basically being my same functioning self. So that was basically the vaccine really working because it was fighting um, or my body was fighting uh, uh, that vaccine injection. That's right. So after getting vaccinated, uh, people may have some side effects and this is expected. These are signs, like you pointed out, that your body is building protection and some of the common ones, we tend to see this a little bit more after the second dose 
they are pain, redness, swelling where you get your injection in the arm, or some people may have headaches, muscle aches, tiredness, fever, chills, and most of these will go away. When people get their first vaccine, this can be a little bit of a minor run a day or two, and then as they get their booster shot, and there is a little bit of a boost to your immune system, some of these side effects may be a little bit more pronounced. None of them are really dangerous, and they will usually peer away in a few days. But if they really become bothersome for people or impact their day-to-day activities or return to work, that is when we actually recommend they can take acetaminophen or ibuprofen if they have a lot of pain or discomfort. But we don't really recommend taking these medications before the vaccination just in order to prevent some of these side effects if they are going to go in for their first or second shot. Right. So we were talking about the three-week, 21 days, 28 days for the two different vaccines. Is there any science that suggests it could or should be a longer time frame between the two vaccination times? So there have been studies. Um, In the U.S., we are still recommending sticking to the recommendation from the trials. But, the, but there are studies, and especially out of the UK, where they have studied longer intervals and they have shown that um, the efficacy or the, or the effectiveness of the first dose is fairly good. And we can allow people to get their first dose and vaccinate a larger you know, um, group of people. Um, but for now, and the recommendations in the U.S. remain we should go ahead and get our two doses. And fortunately, we have had the vaccine availability to kind of address this at this point where we can safely vaccinate people with two doses for Pfizer and Moderna. And now with Johnson & Johnson back in production um, or the pause having ended, um, you know, that makes it easier for a large, um, you know, mass vaccination program to be rolled out to, throughout the U.S. And I think with what we see going on in the world, and it's been going on for over a year, fortunately, we're seeing improvement, I believe, in this country that the cases are decreasing, but we're having the vaccinations increase. But other countries in the world are are certainly suffering a lot. India, you know, my heart goes out to the people because it's it just feels uh, catastrophic what is happening there. And I don't even know what the vaccine situation is, whether the availability there. Are you aware with, of that, Dr. Sharma? Um, yes, yeah, so there are vaccines um, that have been approved in India, one of them being the AstraZeneca and there is an indigenous vaccine. Um, I don't think that the the vaccination program has been as robust compared to the population of India. So that has been rolled out in the mega cities and people have gotten vaccinated, but there is not even close to where we would we would consider it stem the stem the kind of catastrophic threat they're seeing at this time. Also, there is concern that there might be variants and why this has sort of taken off in areas where one would have expected these vaccination programs to kick off a couple of months ago when they actually launched their vaccination program. So there's so many questions that are still unanswered. 
And just because the country is reeling with the crisis and we've seen similar things happen in Brazil and uh, UK where they have really come to a, you know, total collapse of the healthcare system, I think we're going to have to unfortunately wait for answers to figure out wh- what what is the key piece to preventing this kind of calamity in other countries. Yes, indeed. Uh, and certainly, you know, trying to get that that the vaccines to the majority of the population is a, a big part of that, isn't it? Yes, that's right. And I think there are two parts to it. One is having the vaccine and making it available to people. And second is, you know, convincing and making sure people are on board to getting vaccinated and understanding that this will not only protect them, but protect their loved ones and those around them. It seems to be a bit of a challenge here in the U.S., doesn't it? Yes. Um, you know, we have um, we have seen this uh, emerge over and over again where vaccine hesit- uh, hesitancy or now it's being uh, called vaccine equity, um, you know, uh, being a concern. Because now that we have seen vaccine availability not being as much of an issue as it was when vaccination was first introduced, uh, you know, um, four months ago, we are beginning to see that there are appointments available, but people are hesitant to go out and get their vaccine. And, um, you know, there are, there are multiple reasons for it. There is, they might not be aware of the safety information. There is misinformation. There is disinformation. Um, so I think we just need more robust educational tools, bringing people um, on board and uh, telling them about their, you know, about their safety uh, risk if they don't take the vaccine, putting other people at risk. And then finally, sort of coming out of the pandemic, where we have seen sort of waves of infection, um, you know, happen over the last year. And even right now uh, in King County, we're seeing that there could potentially be uh, another wave coming, or we're seeing that we might be moving, um, what is it, back back to phase three, right? I, sometimes those numbers get mixed up in my head, but I think we're, we might be, there's a possibility of regressing. Is that right? That is right. Yeah. So, um, you know, King County and the, and so Washington's Department of Health, they usually have their metrics out and they look at the 14 day average. And King County is edging a little bit over the 200 cases that we have been below in the last couple of months. And also the other metric to look at is death per 100,000. And the, that number is five for King County for the population, and we're about 4.7, so inching pretty close. And you're absolutely right that if we continue this trajectory, we're going to be rolled back to phase two. Um, and, you know, uh, again, brings the point where we just cannot let our guard down, each one of us. And so being vaccinated, I I get the sense that there are a lot of vaccines available that people are just not taking advantage of. And you kind of touched on that in the sense of people not having the information. Um, Certainly, I think there's been a a great effort in making the sites more um, 
available to people, just bringing them more into the community and even uh, offering that if a younger person would drive an older person in, the younger person could also get vaccinated at the same time. I think there's just such a great effort to try and get these vaccines done. Yes, absolutely. I think the mass vaccination sites, the information, you mentioned some of the points, the vaccines are completely free of cost. People don't have to have insurance or means to, you know, pay for any of this care. Um, All these are efforts in the right direction to encourage everyone to come forth and get their vaccination. And now that the eligibility criteria has expanded, you know, um, the young cohort, which is the major working force, and the ones that are out and about, uh, we're beginning to see a rise in infections in the younger uh, population. And so it would be very beneficial for a lot of these individuals who are either working or engaging in um, you know, public activities to get their shots. If they have questions, if they have concerns, then go ahead and call to your doctor's office for reliable sources of information. So they can make informed decisions as opposed to getting, you know, pieces of news from unreliable sources of information, which seems to confuse people or sort of instill fear um, or doubt, I should say, about some of the vaccination efforts that have been made. And you had said at the outset how we need to be thinking about each other and the greater good in this rather than thinking very self-centeredly and thinking, uh, it's. I hear a lot about, well, it's my right to do, perhaps not get vaccinated, it's my right to not wear a mask, rather than thinking of what is the best for the greater population. I absolutely agree. Um, you know, these are unusual times and uh, they will they will require us to change our mindset to go from me to we. And so we really have to put our minds together and think about not just me or I or myself. We just really have to go a little bit beyond and see, you know, if I'm going to get minor side effects or if it is safe for my neighbor to get the vaccine and it is safe for, you know, the doctor to get the vaccine, um, perhaps it is safe for me to go ahead and get the vaccine as well. Exactly. Uh, I do know of a family member, one of my family members, who had gotten their first shot. And actually, um, it's not clear where this person then uh, had some contact because then they were tested positive for COVID-19, had to stay uh, quarantined for two weeks. So even after having the first shot, they were still sick not really to the point of having to be hospitalized. So I think that there's that piece of it that is important too, that um, if we do get sick, it's not going to be to the degree it was as the uh, epidemic first became present in our in our world. Great point. So, you know, these shots are really good at preventing illness, but we should remember that these are not 100% effective. And there is a gap. So, you know, if you, if you look at the numbers and somebody gets the vaccine, the first shot of, let's say, a two-dose series, you know, their risk of getting really sick or their risk of even getting a symptomatic infection is much lower than someone who has not received the vaccine. 
but they still remain vulnerable. So, you know, if, if they're exposed, for example, in public places, um, you know, or to someone who is actually ill with COVID, they can go on to get COVID infections still. However, they may have either a less severe illness, which may mean you don't need oxygen or you don't need hospitalization level uh, care. And in that case, it is life-saving. On the other hand, people may may get exposed to the vaccine and they may have an asymptomatic infection, which they don't even know they have. And in that case, you kind of like cruise through and, you know, carry on your, you know, activities. Um, but this is where we will see the tide turn. Those who are vaccinated are either not requiring hospital beds or, you know, healthcare um, support, or they're able to not uh, fall sick and carry on their productivity, or they will not spread the infection to others. And so all these things in the end will, what will help us sort of get ahead of the pandemic. Yes, indeed. And certainly not having to be hospitalized is such a key piece of it because what the, the, all of, staff like yourself, all medical health professionals have been so overly taxed by this epidemic that we need to, that's another reason to be vaccinated so that we aim to get in more in a balance where we're not um, overwhelming the system. Right. Well, there is also a world of non-COVID medical problems that exist. And so you're right that we, if we, if we can lessen the burden on the healthcare systems nationally um, with COVID hospitalizations or COVID-related care, we might be able to, uh, you know, find windows where we can adequately or uh, provide appropriate personnel care and, you know, means to care for other types of illnesses um, that um, have uh, sort of taken a little bit of a backseat, I should say, in the last year. Yes, and I think that's been very, even currently, um, I know that in Canada, that is the case. Uh, in Ontario, they've been having such an, a surge that there there's discussion as to who gets priority and they're having to send people to other area hospitals. And I mean, that feels just gut-wrenching to think of, you know, having a health emergency, say a stroke or a heart attack, and and you may not get the help that you need. Yes, right. absolutely. Yeah. And um, I will jog your memory. Um, you know, we kind of saw this uh, last year when um, when Seattle area hospitals were overwhelmed and we were asked to help out Idaho and surrounding uh, hospital systems because uh, they were overwhelmed with admissions and um, capacity. So we do not want to return to that. And certainly being vaccinated is is the what I see as the as the path forward and upward. So in terms of that, we use the term herd vaccination. That still is the terminology. Is that right? That is right. So herd immunity is where enough people have some type of immunity to the disease that they will not that the disease will not spread from person to person or will be less likely. And as a result, those who have immunity are definitely protected, but the whole community 
becomes protected. And so the two ways we get herd immunity for infection. One is by the infection itself, and the other is vaccination. Now that we have vaccinations and good effective vaccinations for COVID-19, these are our two ways in the U.S. And if we are able to make more efforts to vaccinate larger populations, I think that will probably uh, take us there. I should say that experts don't really have a number or percentage for how we will attain this herd immunity, but the numbers that have been put forward is that if 80% or upwards of 80% um, of people are vaccinated with COVID-19 vaccine, we might be able to say some level of herd immunity um, in areas of the U.S. So 80 percent, are we halfway there yet in, in Washington state? Oh, I don't think so. No. So we still have quite a road ahead of us. Mm-hmm. And the, va- the thing is, the vaccines are available. It's, uh, it's, maybe that's it, that they're too plentiful. Maybe if there was some scarcity, there, there might be more clamoring for it. Is there that kind of a reverse psychology, perhaps, that we need to play? I think we've actually been through that cycle. So we did see this in some of the earlier months where there were tiers to vaccination and, you know, uh, certainly in areas of Western Washington, uh, we did see that people were clamoring for vaccines. They were anxious about getting appointments, which were scarce and sort of, um, you know, uh, the vaccine availability was less before, um, you know, we had Johnson & Johnson approved. Now we are seeing that there are sites, especially like Lumenfield and um, a couple of other mass vaccination sites, they have plenty of appointments and people should be able to uh, schedule them, you know, uh, almost on a daily basis. Um, and, and I think um, it is more about spreading information, spreading the word, uh, people sharing their stories with their family and friends about their positive uh, outcomes with vaccination. All of those things uh, will all the community leaders, all the community sources, uh, if they can help spread the word, reassure people this is the right thing to do for all of us we might find, um, you know, some more success in getting people to receive their vaccines. Yes. Well, that is certainly our goal, is to educate, inform, encourage when it is something that uh, very positive and important in a person's life. And so as a medical professional right there on uh, on the front lines dr sharma what what is the statement you would say then to to individuals listening i would say vaccines are safe go ahead and get the vaccine that is available to you if you have any questions concerns or you're worried about your own personal health problems with covid vaccination reach out to your doctors i'm sure they will be more than happy to address this uh and you know um put it in perspective for you vaccines um have been long around and although this is new this was expedited because of the public health emergency and we are fortunate enough in the united states to have this available to us so we should definitely take an advantage and probably, you know, protect our communities and um, sort of encourage, show how we can get ahead of the pandemic, which has affected globally, 
And there's so many other places that do not have access to vaccines are reeling with catastrophic results. So I think we definitely have a winner where we can get ahead of the game if we accept it. And as you say that, and I think about how, you know, we are really rich with the fact of having this health care, of having the vaccines just readily available, it's uh, we should be so grateful and express our gratitude and show how we can be leaders by taking these steps and being vaccinated and then reaching this herd immunity that makes it available for for the vaccines to be available to other countries around the globe. Yes. Right. Well, I do appreciate your input, your experience, Dr. Sharma. I I am grateful that PacMed offers professionals like yourself to be available to speak to us on these uh, informational programs. And uh, so thank you for being here and thank you for the work that you do in our community. Thank you, Kate, for having me on. You're so welcome. I just want to add to all that Dr. Sharma has said about getting vaccinated. In the U.S., we are privileged, and as such, I feel we have a responsibility. The vaccines for COVID-19 aren't just a suggestion. There's a big, really more than adequate supply in the U.S., while many countries, even Canada to our north, are in short supply, and so many people who want it simply cannot get it. The situation is greater than just what I want. We have the opportunity to do good in the world. We owe that to ourselves, but we also owe it to all of humanity. Each one of us can add to making a positive difference, to bringing us to balance in our own life, and the life of our planet. So please, if you haven't been vaccinated, seriously consider making that appointment or just going to a location today.